Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Flywheel. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K. We are here to cover everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, you've come to the right, right place. This is Flywheel. We're here to help you harness it and all its power and all its potential. Thank you for joining us. And this week, we have on the sommelier guys. We have on Zucky, the co-founder. We have on Sun, who's the co-founder of Seven Seas. And also, we have the yield god himself, Steven, the calculator guy. Like, holy shit, what an episode. Um, we we really got into everything in terms of their new fraximal strategy, as well as everything Cosmos. It was really we really got the full picture here. Kit, thoughts? Um, you know what I always say: two words: Notepad, pencil. You got to get after this on this one. Like, yeah. especially whenever the calculator guy talks, you write down whatever he says because the way he thinks about things is is, is good. Yeah. That guy's thorough. Everybody's thorough. Yeah. And, you know, Zucky had a bunch of OG stories from back in the day. War stories. Uh, Yeah. War stories. And Sun really got into it, like telling us about, like, what is special about Fraxmo. And it's really a Frax Lend optimizer, the first one to be built in the Frax ecosystem. I think there's such such great additions to contribute to Frax. And, you know, I'm happy that, you know, they're on board and now they're members of the community. Definitely. And if you want to keep up with everything for and everything in this community, make sure you hit that bell button, subscribe, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, give us a like, make sure you follow us on Twitter at FlywheelDefi, join our Telegram group to talk about whatever at FlywheelDefi, you can follow me on Twitter at DefiDay22, you can follow me at 0x capital underscore K, and let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, FraxETH is there for you. FraxETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into FraxETH today. GM everyone, welcome back to Flywheel. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K. And this time around, we have on three awesome guests that are working on some awesome things in the Frax ecosystem. We're really excited to have Avon to showcase what they've been building for Frax and also um, just in, throughout all of DeFi. Uh, so let's get to it. We have Steven, founder of DeFi Dojo. We have Zaki, founder of Somalia, uh, and Sun, founder of uh, Seven Seas. Thank you guys for joining. Thanks for having us. All right, yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, Steven, can you go over your, and let's start with you. Uh, what's your background and how'd you get into DeFi? Sure, so um, I am the, the founder of the DeFi Dojo. Background comes from making all these different like spreadsheet tools for different uh, DeFi um, opportunities. Then I built a community. Now I am co-founder of Define Logic Labs, which is a data science firm, much like Seven Cs, uh, working with other protocols and um, you know helping optimize vaults. I uh, got into DeFi the same way a lot of people did. Uh, I was a safe moon maxi, Doge maxi, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, started in crypto like 2017 with, with Ethereum. I uh, got into it, out of it. And then, same. Uh, yeah, really, yeah, really class big. Class of 2017. Like 2000, yeah, 2019. Uh, like when COVID hit, everything was shut down. So what, what better was there to do than to just spend every waking hour in DeFi? And uh, it was a huge I know. blessing. What's it like building a community from the ground up? Because you have a really big one, honestly. I'm yeah, 10,000, 11,000 members in uh, in the dojo. And then, you know, like, I don't really, you know, Twitter and YouTube are not really communities. Uh, I love my Twitter and YouTube followers, but, like, the dojo is totally where it's at. Um, it was totally accidental. 
Uh, I was making videos to explain how the uh, the calculators, the spreadsheets that I use work because, you know, they're kind of confusing. And people liked those videos and I started just explaining other protocols and it really sort of snowballed from there. Uh, the community technically, don't judge me for this, started off as like a, a an ohm telegram group, uh, like the Olympus Dow, because they didn't have one. Uh, and then they were like, hey, you can't do this. We do have one. And so we just converted it into our own thing. Eventually uh, it turned into a Discord. And then that really, really blew up. That's awesome. All great ha things happen organically like that. You don't really plan right. for that. They just happen. Uh, Zaki, um, by the way, huge fan. I loved your speech at ETH Denver in 2022 about regulation and having a narrative for them, uh, by the way. So it's great to have you on. Uh, let's get into it. Like, what's your background and how'd you get into DeFi? Yeah, uh, Zaki, I've been in blockchain since like late 2013, early 2014, uh, protocol builder, uh, most well known for launching the Cosmos ecosystem. Uh, and then uh, started working on Sommelier in 2020. Uh, I mean, I love, I've, I, I've loved DeFi since before it was called DeFi. Like, you know, like, I mean, I remember uh, uh, Martin Kopelman, like, sitting in like a hallway of DevCon one and explaining like automated market makers to me and like blowing my mind. Uh, what so year I, was that? 2015. Wow. 2015 AMMs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Uniswap didn't even come until 2016, I think. What? Uniswap wasn't even until 2016. Yeah. 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 This is before, this is pre Uniswap. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember Hayden for back of the day. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I've been in, I've been into DeFi since like, to me, the reason to build blockchains is to have DeFi. Like that's like to be the, like, uh, like to be the purpose of, of, uh, blockchains is to build like open source, neutral digital markets infrastructure. Um, yeah. And can you like, go into that more? Yeah. I'll, I, we don't want to derail completely, but it's like in the future, like, we are, I expect we will live in a world where either people or AIs or something um, are primarily going to be trading digital commodities. Um, uh, right now, we have like one digital commodity that is like, you know, is the uh, is like a big part of the economy uh, at impressions. But the market infrastructure is run by two companies, uh, Google and Facebook. Uh, they, uh, and like, we're seeing more and more markets like for compute and, you know, electricity and stuff like that, uh, uh, spring up. Uh, but like the biggest one is the ad impression market. It's run by two company, two companies. They run the bidding algorithm. They provide most of the inventory. They run the auction platform. Uh, Google is being sued by the U S justice department for subtly manipulating auction outcomes over decades. Uh, you know, and so if we, if if like there any sort of positive non-monopolist outcome is going to happen for the economy, there's like an opportunity to, uh, to, to like, this is the one in, in, a, in a thousand year lifetime opportunity to like kind of lock the door open, uh, build a bunch of like amazing open source market infrastructure uh, that people that like the people of the future will, will use instead of proprietary platforms. Uh, that are trivially subverted. Hell yeah. And we're here to make this future happen. We're here for all it. of us in our own way. Uh, all right, son, now it's your turn. Uh, give us your background and how you got into DeFi. 
Sure thing. It's hard to follow uh, Zaki here, but uh, interestingly enough, uh, so I, before I was in DeFi, I got in about 2021. Uh, I was a PhD student in machine learning, and I'd spent all this time like doing research, you know, from an academia perspective. And I thought, you know, I should try something different. So I actually started, you know, uh, contributing to some, and eventually Zaki convinced me that, you know, PhD maybe isn't the the best thing to do with your time. Uh, and since then, I've been in DeFi. And I think the thing that kind of kept me around was there's, number one, so much to build, right? There's a lot of low-hanging fruit. Um, so it's intellectually interesting. There's a lot of opportunity. Um, the thing that's really interesting about DeFi is it's like, you know, it's kind of the Wild West, which is very exciting, but also dangerous. Um, there's a lot of, you know, opportunities in markets. There's a lot of opportunities in, like, DeFi strategies. So it's been this, like, you know, fun ride since then. Uh, as, as everyone knows, like since 2021, there's been a lot of progress in AI as well. So that's been kind of fun to watch from the sidelines. Uh, but yeah, it's been great. So yeah. There's definitely a pipeline of PhD dropouts to DeFi. Honestly, I, you're, you're probably like the fifth or sixth case I've heard of that. And you're right. It's just like interesting, inter, intellectually interesting. Um, a lot of, you know, it attracts people. You, you see your results in real time. Um, so it's not surprising there. Uh, but yeah, let's get to it. Um, so you, you all work on Somalia. Uh, in your own words, can you describe what it is and how it works? I want other people Zaki, to your son I can give it a stab here. Okay. So you have this problem in DeFi. There's like, first of all, there's a bunch of different ways to look at what Somalia is. Uh, this is just one perspective on what it is. But in DeFi, you have this challenge of increasing complexity in protocols, right? New financial primitives are coming out. There's new ways of interacting with protocols and the trend has been towards more complexity, right? If you just take like the, you know, DeFi staple app, which is Uniswap, you can see its evolution from like, you know, V2, now they've announced V4 and it's iteratively more complex, right? Uh, that complexity is good in the sense that you provide sophisticated actors with a lot of options for, you know, what they can do, right? Uh, you know, new market making strategies, better liquidity, more capital efficiency. The challenge though, is that these protocols are increasingly difficult to use, right? And so you're left with this situation where, you know, just like traditional finance, your average user is in a position where, you know, they don't necessarily know how to engage and they're kind of left on the sidelines. What sommelier is at its core is an attempt to kind of capture all the benefits of DeFi, right? Which is transparency, self-custody, um, you know, all these various benefits and make that available, you know, make complex, interesting financial strategies available to people through a single simple interface. And in DeFi, we call this a vault, right? A vault is just a smart contract where you put in your funds and it does interesting things. And you can see what it's doing, right? It's not taking hidden leverage. It's not doing crazy shit, but you can actually observe what's going on there. And so Somalia is a platform for building state-of-the-art, you know, the most sophisticated vaults possible in DeFi. And there's a whole, you know, there's a whole infrastructure for how it does that, but that's kind of the high level. Yeah. Zaki, um, what I'll about just, you? I'll take Was a right? Which is basically, yeah. <laughs> okay, like DeFi summer happens. I was actually like in the salt mines shipping IBC, didn't really get to do that much participating. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, like 
it was just so amazing to see all of these projects that I had been following for many years, suddenly finding, you know, users and every, and like the amount of excitement around them. But like the energy very quickly shifted to like basically see DeFi, right? Voyager, Celsius, all of this stuff. It was like obvious to me, like what was going to happen, right? Like it was obvious that these platforms to me we're going to run their users. Like it was inevitable. It was like, that was the way these things have happened for like many crypto, you know, in every crypto cycle and it was going to happen again. And so the idea of sommelier was take a lot of the technology that I had been working on with Cosmos, uh, uh, like Ethereum smart contracts. Like, I mean, like I was writing Ethereum smart contracts in like 2015. Like, you know, I'm not just a Cosmos guy. I've, I've been, I've, I've contributed a lot to Ethereum in the early days. Uh, and at various points along uh, the journey. And like my point of view has always been, um, what if we could like, we could use all of this tech to deliver the user experience of CD5, which is you put your money into a system, it earns for you, it gets good results, but like, how do you build a set of checks and balances into the system that make it so no one can ruck? Uh, not just transparency, but actually multiple points of control where there is where there are like competing incentives and like people like you know the strategy strategists can't rub the user yeah um what um what's the word i'm looking for uh compliment how do you see cosmos and ethereum complement each other because because you see even you've worked on both early and like yeah. you said you're in the salt mines launching ibc so like how do you see them building with each other in the future I mean, I think the biggest the biggest thing you're gonna like you're gonna see is like more and more of fusion of Ethereum and Cosmos to the point where they like don't really aren't really distinguishable from each other in any meaningful way. I think uh, like you know I think it's it it is funny kind of like where the Cosmos community comes from things. It's like they it, it and like where the ethereum community comes with them they're like okay like we think these things are separate but like all of the things that i think are really exciting are actually like so like you know dydx just launched their uh cosmos network test net uh and like you do everything on it with metabask like and you know there's no way there's no real mechanism by which a user is going to be able to be able to meaningfully tell the difference hopefully between their like ethereum l2 on starkware today and like this distributed system but you're going to get a much more decentralized much more robust system with no single points of failure where the order book teleports around the world every couple of seconds uh uh using cosmos tech but from a user experience point of view it's it's the same thing like you know the re like sommelier is an engine for building for tapping into like re like real arbitrage opportunities like sort of real value flows and right now those value flows exist at scale on ethereum and that's why we focused it on building like an ethereum centric user experience just to like add to that real quick uh so a lot of people don't know that sommelier is actually a cosmos chain and that chain is powering these ethereum vaults i really do wonder like how much of our depositors are actually aware of this like complex cosmos system that's like behind the scenes it's pretty interesting yeah that is interesting yeah i've heard of a uh, so it's some so it's sommelier no no how do i pronounce it sommelier just call it psalm psalm yeah so i'm just call it psalm okay psalm. uh 
Stephen, uh, could you describe SOM in your own words? Yeah, absolutely. So from a strategist perspective, what it allows me to do is coming into this, we were talking to a bunch of different protocols because we had a lot of strategies. I mean, like all I do all day is look at strategies in DeFi. It's, uh, I would say it's nauseating, nauseating, but I actually love it. It's, it's just fun. It's just like getting paid to do math. So greatest job I could ever have. Uh, but I didn't know how to get these strategies out or to do anything aside from just have a community with strategies. So we were talking to a bunch of protocols and we stumbled upon uh, Somalia or SOM, I'll use the, the shortened form, and they had everything. Like they had non-custodial. So like we could never touch the funds. We never wanted to. We just wanted to build strategies for uh, different ecosystems. And they had adaptable strategies. So not only could we have a strategy in there, but if the strategy no longer became the best strategy for that asset class, it could adapt to a different strategy uh, and the user would never change vaults. That was like mind-blowingly cool tech from from my perspective as a strategist. And it could take like bets on specific narratives. Uh, It had its own governance mechanism to like protect user depositors. Uh, when when Sun first described the security system to me, I was like, I don't know what half these words mean, but I'm so impressed by everything you just said. Uh, and then I had to like go with my my partner and like have them uh, give me another debrief. So the for me from a strategist perspective, what it allows me to do is something that that no other place could allow, which is having dynamic, non-custodial, and very secure uh, strategies hosted on chain as a vault. And, you know, those vault tokens also might have some composability in the future. And I love composability as a strategist. So uh, that's that's from my perspective, what Somalia is. Got it. Super cool. And Stephen, let's let's jump back with you as, you know, in my mind now, you're Stephen the strategist, SS, alliteration right there. So what oh, let's led... Let's not use SS. Think, uh... <laughs> no, let's use S squared. S squared. S squared. So... Um, what kind of led you then from, you know, creating all these strategies involved all the way to Frax? And obviously we'll, we'll get to the, the Frax product shortly, but you know, what do you yeah, think about absolutely. Frax so, as this? Uh, yeah, been on Frax for a while. Frax is just like this really, really cool decentralized stable coin. So when we talk about stable coins, like most people, yeah, maybe they're using like USDT, maybe they're using USDC. We've seen some of the problems with USDC uh, in the very recent future. Maybe USDT has had its, its DPEG issues, uh, but it's, you know, Sun, not this Sun, always comes in to, to save the day there. Um, Frax is an actual decentralized stablecoin. We need decentralized stablecoins in DeFi. Like this is uh, non-negotiable. The whole ethos of, of decentralized finance relies upon this ability to use assets as an exchange of, of value and stable coins sort of represent the most fundamental exchange of value, which is like fiat currency. So Frax, the, the way in which it's held its peg throughout every major uh, black swan event, I mean, you know, um, you call it a black swan, but at this point, like if you go to the DeFi pond, it's mostly black swans with a few white swans here and there. Uh, you maybe get a flamingo, but like the way that Frax has held its peg, the only time its peg was really affected was when USDC was affected. But even then, like Dai, the largest decentralized stablecoin, was equally affected. Uh, so like Frax certainly holds its own. And the the ecosystem, like with FPI coming out, which is you guys already, I mean, you know what it is because you're watching the Flywheel podcast. But then like Frax Lend, there are so many things within the Frax ecosystem that are like. Uh, sirens for a strategist. Uh, so arbitrage opportunities, 
Fraxland, FPI, looping, maybe who, I don't know who's saying that. Uh, but all of these different things are really inviting for a strategist perspective. I mean, the, the amount of yields you can get on staked Frax Ether, uh, I'm not going to name all the protocols because I don't want to give away my own alpha uh, or, you know, uh, kill my own yield. But like, there's just so much to do within this uh, particular ecosystem. So it was, uh, it was effectively an inevitability to be building in some way with Frax. When did you first notice the opportunity with Fraxland? So this was my, the co-founder. We were just like genuinely, general, genuinely using the protocol for Fraxland. And what we noticed is that the lending yield for Frax was, was atypically high for a stablecoin yield. Uh, and then, so we started tracking it and we're tracking it like day over day over day. We see that, uh, I think it was, Curve and FXS, they flipped from one being the best yielding uh, Frax Lend pool to the other one being the best lending Frax yield pool. And then we saw Geome, like sort of get close to taking the lead there. And so we thought, okay, well, this is not very optimized. Uh, we could optimize this with the infrastructure over at Somalia. So after tracking it for a while and saying, yeah, there's definitely something here, we ran some metrics to see how much TVL it could absorb. And thought, okay, there's definitely something here. Uh, how we, much TVL can it absorb? So in terms of TVL absorption, uh, it looks like starting at, let's say, 3 million to 5 million, then it starts to really optimize the pools. So up until up until a certain number, like it's all going to be going into probably curve at the moment. But after a certain number, which I mean, we're, we're already nearly at 700,000 deposited after only a few hours. So uh, very reasonable we hit those targets within a few weeks then it'll start optimally depositing into the pools so that the maximum maximal yield can be generated uh, throughout from them. So Sun's team seven, at 7Cs has created this like beautiful off-chain uh, mathematical system that tells us at different TVLs where the deposit should go to. And anyways, you asked for a number. We're looking at between like, seven to 11 million in, in total absorption power without completely decimating the yield. Got it. And, and let's, let's, let's jump to sun real quick to, to talk about the math here. Like when you were crunching it, like, was there a, a threshold you were saying like, Hey, we won't put more than 50% of the TVL of the vault in one single pair just to kind of like, uh, uh, have some collateral diversity or how were you thinking about that stuff? Yeah, there. So the optimization problem is like it's it's pretty straightforwardly like it's straightforward to set this up, right? The one like philosophical question we have we've had, right? And this is like broader question for DeFi is like what do what do DeFi users actually care about, right? Like, do they care about you know like very very conservative risk management? Do they care about yield, right? And if there's a trade-off there between like, you know, a higher yielding product that takes on more risk and a lower yielding product, which is going to do better. And historically, it's been the higher yielding product, right? Like we've seen this. Uh, we have, you know, firsthand evidence of this. And so at a base level, right, like the goal of this vault is to provide the best risk-adjusted returns on Fraxland, right? Um now, you know, there you can't just go balls to the wall here, right? Because it's like uh, there are all mm -hmm. kinds of other risks with just, let's say, you know, we put everything into a single uh, market and let's say that market becomes a liquid, right? For whatever reason, you know, we can get into the curve situation, which is kind of interesting, but um, like there are controls here. So, okay, 
the first question is like, how do you optimize yield? Just pure yield. And that question becomes interesting when you have, like Stephen mentioned, a couple million TVL, because what actually happens is when you're allocating frags to each market, you're, you're changing the interest rate curve, right? You're, you're moving along the interest rate curve. So to actually solve this optimization problem, which is, you know, something that is, this is like the special sauce of the vault, uh, you need to be able to forecast the impact of your TVL on each market, right? And then you can do some kind of, you know, numerical optimization, however you want to do that, however you want to run this optimization to actually get the correct answer, which says, all right, I have 2 million, 2 million fracks. Where do I put this to get the highest yield? And we have that. We have a solution to that. So that's kind of the engine that's running behind the scenes uh, of this vault. There are additional considerations though, right? Like, you know, what I just mentioned, there are liquidity constraints. If you put all of your assets into a single market because there's the most borrowed demand, you might not be able to withdraw, right? Like uh, these are these are constraints. So another layer of kind of security here is that this vault actually maintains a reserve of assets that will always be liquid for people to withdraw from. Uh, so this is like the calculus that's going on, right? It's like, we want to have the best yields and there's an opportunity to get better yields than if you just passively pick a single market because like Steven mentioned, those yields are dynamic. They change which one's better, you know, on any given day. But at the same time, right, you also want this additional layer of liquidity and of reserve. So that's like the, you know, high level uh, calculus that goes into this vault. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Like, uh, you know, there's a lot we can, there's a lot of reasons we're excited about this. One is the math, but it's also like, definitely our first foray into uh, like targeting a specific community and ecosystem to like try to help improve that ecosystem with the tech that is available at Somalia. And there are also some additional things like in that mathematical consideration, if it, if the, like, I think we're talking about the, the CRV pool quite a bit here. If that pool becomes a liquid, what does that mean? It means that there's uh, such a high utilization rate that there's not enough fracks available to take out, which means that on the curve, we're going to be way up on the yield curve. And as you guys know, with that curve, it's also time weighted. So as time goes on, the yield starts to increase exponentially. Uh, we believe that this will incentivize other depositors, not just fractional depositors, but depositors who like frax. When they see a 27% yield on frax one day, then they see like a 54% yield the next day. Uh, we do think that the markets will start to balance out and, and be like intelligibly priced. So there, you know, if we only deposit in curve with no reserve, then there could be instances of liquid withdrawals, which is why we do have that reserve in there. You have faith in the rationality of the market. We do. Well, to, we have faith in, in relative rationality of the market. Relative yeah. rationality. It's right. important to have the that The profit maxis. The profit yeah. maxis. That's right. Profit maxis. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. uh, actually, before we move on, I wanted to ask a bit about this reserve. Um, is, is it a target percent that, that you guys have in mind, or is it a constantly changing number based on user behavior? So this is a good question. Son, you want to get into it or do you want me to get into it? You got it, too. Okay, so uh, it's it's a bit of both. So we start off with a specific percentage because we believe that we can't necessarily predict what the depositor size is going to be. But once we have the depositor size, we can do is we can look at the bonding mechanism and how long they're bonding for, and say, okay, we know that this amount can't be bonded until can't be unbonded until this date. So as long as the reserve is this size at this date, we know that we can meet all the possible all the possible and theoretical demand for withdrawal. So that's effectively the thesis that we're taking. Uh, currently, I, I think we're at like 5% or something similar to that uh, on the reserve. 
And then it becomes more dynamic after we have a feel for the market and once we can see who's bonding for how long and what, what the possible risks are uh, later on in the, in the life cycle of the vault. It's all about liquidity at the end of the day. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So a user could decide how, what are the bonding options? Is it only like a, a month long as the minimum all the way up to like, you know, four years, like a VECRV style or yeah. It's uh, it's not, it's not years. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> this is a very different system. So the bonding, just to kind of explain what the bonding mechanism here is, um, there are currently some incentives for depositors to this vault. Uh, so when we say bonding, what you do is you deposit to this vault, right? You deposit your fracs, you receive your seller, your, you know, we call our vaults sellers. It's like a cute, you know, distinguishing thing. Oh, uh, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a wine cell. Anyway, nice. um, uh, yeah, we tried that for a while uh, because they're, you know, different than vaults. But anyway, you get your vault share token back. And then you go put that in a staking contract, which is emitting some incentives for you. So the actual bonding periods, I forget the specific ones on this. It's something on the order of like, you know, up to three weeks, I believe. Uh, it might be less than that, maybe two or three weeks, but definitely not years. Um, and typically, you know, for all sommelier vaults, there have been like liquidity mining incentives uh, for various reasons. This one, you know, there's like a thesis behind why we're doing this, which is that you know, as Steven has mentioned, when this vault hits like a certain threshold of TVL, it starts to really, there's like the most benefit to both depositors and the Fraxland ecosystem, right? Because then it's really like the name of the game here is to allocate Frax to where it's needed most, right? This vault is acting like a kind of, you know, like layer on top of Fraxland to like boost capital efficiency. And all of those benefits emerge uh, after, you know, a certain amount of TVL. So the goal with these incentives for this vault is to try to get people to come in early and get us to that point where there's been there's like you know all kinds of positive externalities. Um, yeah. I just wanted to uh, quickly Zucky. explain yeah. what the SOM token does. Uh, so the SOM token is uh, the staking token of the layer one sommelier app chain um, that is providing like a governance layer over this entire system. It has a very large portion of the token supply allocated to the community pool for various token incentives. Uh, you know, and like essentially what the sommelier community is doing is with this, we're, we are essentially synergistically like deploying uh, 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 sommelier tokens to sort of improve the Flaxland ecosystem. The final piece that's somewhat unique about sommelier is we are as a Cosmos chain and a uh, fixed supply Cosmos chain. Um, so there's only 500 million SOM tokens. There's about 140 million in the community pool right now. Uh, the, uh, and the design of the system is, is that, so like as, as profits accrue, most of the profits go to the strategist, but there is a portion of the profits that are going to the protocol. The protocol auctions those profits off, the fee tokens off for SOM tokens. And over time, that gradually replaces the, the staking rewards. So eventually, the staking rewards just becomes like self-sustaining uh, uh, from the uh, a flywheel, a flywheel indeed. Uh, 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 <laughs> uh, becomes self-sustaining. Uh, it's the model suggests it's about three to five hundred million TBL. We're just about to hit twenty million. Um, you know, we got a ways to go. It's a bear market, um, but uh, uh, you know. I think SOM is like very unique in both the like 
the diversity of different roles it can play. It can have like can have index index strategies. It can have uh, 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 like yield generating strategies. It can just automate for protocols. There's like a lot of different synergies that like a lot of different like roles in the DeFi ecosystem that Tom can play. So, anyways, yeah, I was gonna ask actually about governance in my next question. What is the process of getting a vault up on Sum? Like, there's like a forum post that goes to, you know, discussion. Yeah. So, so, yeah, right, yeah. Typically, like, you know, we onboard, we work with, you know, 7Cs play, is, plays a big role in helping onboard strategists, right, new strategists right now. Um, there's a, like, sort of a governance process for every new strategy where, um, because one of the big things, that the, so one of the unique things about the sommelier protocol is every validator runs like in addition to just sort of the normal block building software, they run this process that we call steward again with the wine theme. Uh, but what steward so does there. is steward is uh, what it does is when a strategist wants to like, you know, make a trade essentially to like move from one position to another um, steward is out there providing an additional layer of protection that like, no other like uh, uh, the no smart contract could provide. It can perform dynamic checks. It can simulate transactions. It can do a whole bunch of stuff that you could never do like within a smart contract itself to check that like a transaction is safe. And then also validators are kind of a fallback mechanism. Like let's say, you know, a strategist, you know, a non-strategist disappears off the face of earth. We can't get in touch with them. No idea what they do. Validators can step in, swap the position into something that's like reasonably safe, stable coins or like ETH or whatever um, is appropriate. Uh, uh, and like users can withdraw their funds safely. So this is like, it, it's a big part of this, like, like the whole point of this system is it's like, a, it's like the ultimate vision, like the biggest, like, you know, I've been doing this a long time um, and, uh, you know, I don't think I've ever had a, anyone lose money to a hack of a protocol that I've worked on. Um, and the like the ultimate the real goal is like prioritization of user protection. Um, you know, that's that like I, I want to build infrastructure that like is open source and like will provide a foundation of like moving DeFi beyond this like glorified multi-sig era. Yes. With the tokens, so do token holders have final say in the protocol with everything? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so in theory, could there be a, a governance attack where you know somebody just accumulates a bunch of tokens and just decides to rug the vaults? Um, they wouldn't be able to rug the vaults, um, which is okay. because there are the one of the big things that we've done is there's a whole bunch of the protections that all, there's like a whole another layer of protection that lives in the smart contract layer. Um, that is mostly immutable. Like there's no, there's no upgrade keys. There's nothing um, like that. Um, and like, uh, you know, where there's a couple of upgradable pieces where a 407 multi-sig has the authority to do stuff, but usually it requires the multi-sig and the protocol governance to like work together. You'd have to like, uh, uh, and so- That's a team effort. Yeah, there's like the whole, you know, nothing is perfect, right? Like, you know, and so like the whole idea is there's like a layer of protections that's essentially coming from Ethereum itself that's secured by Ethereum living that like no matter what the validators do, they can't affect those. Then there's a whole bunch of layers of protection that the validators do. Then there's like our maintenance multi-sig. Then there's the strategist. If like you basically have to like kind of like, 
if you really want to rug the protocol, you kind of have to like compromise everyone. Um, ideally. Yeah. It's like the motto of Psalm should be use protection, use Psalm. That's pretty good. Yeah. Actually, I, I wanted to um, circle back a bit into the, the fees and revenue that uh, Zucky mentioned earlier. And I, I see here is about 20%, 16 to the strategies, and then four to the protocol and Ergo that would start the whole uh, Psalm flywheel, right? Because this is like yeah. cash you're generating. is. That 20%, well, first, is it fixed at 20 or it, does it scale down as TVL grows like massively? And second, is it taken from the total uh, APY, meaning both the SOM rewards itself and the native yield or only on the, or only on the real yield? So the, pro, the fee number is a parameter that governance actually controls. Uh, when a strategist comes forward with a strategy idea, they go through this governance process, right? They have to, you know, mm -hmm. basically say, here's what the strategy is, like here are the assets and it's taking exposure to, here are the protocols it's using, and this is the fee split. Uh, and that has to be accepted by governance. There is flexibility to change that number in the future, but that's also a governance proposal. Uh, in fact, like some of some strategies have actually already changed uh, fees. For example, um, like this, the major stablecoin strategy on Somalia is called Real Yield USD. Uh, that launched with a small management fee and eventually, and no performance fee, and it eventually migrated to a pure performance fee. Uh, so it really, you know, it really varies and it does require uh, some token holders to kind of sign off. Um, yeah, and, and, and uh, just to like answer one of your other questions, it's only the fees are only on the real yield um, across the whole thing. Um, so, wow. like, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people the estimate the breakdown. Right. Yeah. People, people are in disbelief about you know five percent yield, real yield on stables, like 11 percent real yield on ETH. Uh, these press, I mean, the numbers are there. There's really it just it, and and all of the numbers that are on the on the UI that the user sees, those are net of fees. So that's after the fees are taken out. Oh, yeah. you should totally write that estimated net APY. Like, I, I think that's, that should totally be there as a, a, a bit. Because I'm looking at the estimated APY here. It's like 6% real yield and about 30% rewards APY. So you're telling me you're only going to charge 20% on the 6% and I get to keep the full 30 in my non-custodial yeah. wallet? Wow. That's exactly okay. correct. Yes. Wow. Okay. That totally needs to be advertised. Because <laughs> I was, I was just thinking. I was like, "Wait, so if you get twenty percent back, you basically get a twenty percent discount on all token emissions because it effectively comes back to you." Uh, but okay, no, that's no, no, no. awesome. We're not getting any of the token emissions. God. And, and last question: Who decides how much token emission goes into this vault? Is that also Stomp in governance? Yeah, one of the like. I mean, it's 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 actually cool. Like, we're the only Cosmos chain that can do this. Uh, we could actually have a vote on the Cosmos chain to grant a ethereum smart contract a portion of the tokens from the community pool um oh that's super interesting it's like a gauge system like crv's yeah. gauge system effectively okay i honestly i mean if i you know just like this little random digression but i've been thinking a lot about it is it's like you know the tokenomics that like are built into the cosmos sdk are were very much designed for adam um and they're not as flexible as like what you see the experimentation with like 
gauges and stuff like that on Ethereum. I've got, I've been like, I'm, you know, like, I think that's like one of the weaknesses of the Cosmos ecosystem right now. Um, and, but something that could have changed. Um, and, you know, I, I think about that for Psalm a lot. What will it take to change it? Um, the tricky piece is, is that we built the, the staking system for Psalm to be like, or for Cosmos back in the day to be like hyper scalable. Um, mm -hmm. Like, you know, especially in like the Terra era days, like they had, you know, millions of stakers. Um, uh, and like, you know, Cosmos Hub has about 600,000 staking wallets right now. Um, uh, you know, the Terra days had million, Terra days had millions of stakers. The system was designed to be very efficient um, to be able to do distribution at that very large scale. Um, but it, that, the, like the actual algorithm and the way the code is written out is really complicated. Um, and uh, as a result, it's been, it's very intimidating to try and make, you know, tweaks to it. Um, and I've, I've been trying to think about architect, like, you know, ways of refactoring that code to make it so that people could be more flexible with their tokenomics in, in the ecosystem. But uh, yeah, I'm curious, are there other projects on Cosmos that you find interesting? Uh, are there other projects on Cosmos that I find interesting? The, like other Cosmos chains, like any? Yeah, yeah any I find ones. them all interesting. I mean, they're most all, of them. All, all of them. <laughs> all, most, of, yeah. most of them have something interesting going on, to be honest. I mean, like one of the biggest changes that, you know, is really happened in like the last like month or two is that like there wasn't a lot to do on Cosmos for a long time. Um, it was like buy tokens, stake them get involved in governance drama, complain about how, <laughs> like, complain about that, like, that, that was what, that, that's apparently what our ecosystem does. And it was kind of sad. Um, we're starting to see, like, a lot of new different kinds of apps launch. Um, uh, stable coins, money markets, money markets that don't look anything like the money markets that exist on Ethereum. Um, uh, you know, uh, there's this thing called, uh, like, People like there's this thing called uh, calculated finance um, that just launched on Osmosis where you can like program in a strategy for like swapping in and out of a pool out of against the AMM pool. Um, it's like a uh, so you can do t like, you know, time key whopping in and out. You can do, you know, DCA, Ooh. you can like program all that in a smart contract. It just does it for you. Um, I think the next Osmosis upgrade is actually like Osmosis is basically like a DEX protocol from 2020, but like. This, the next upgrade is like a leapfrog into the future where like a lot of the ideas that you see in like uni v4 are like in that um dex design um so that seems really super cool to me um uh ist vaults where you can uh which is another you know uh which is a stable coin on cosmos just launched their like cdp style vaults um you know so there's a lot going on in cosmos in general and I, there's so a lot now that um, yep there's a lot Go to ahead. come. And like the DYDX, the DYDX uh, testnet going live was is just like super exciting to me. That's probably it's like yeah, so DYDX's Cosmos chain is the most complicated Cosmos chain I've ever seen. Yeah, I I was gonna ask, could would some deploy strategies on Cosmos chains as well? Um, right now we are EVM only. Uh, this is like a very controversial thing. Um, you know, I think it, it is continuously getting more and more interesting um, to potentially to start working on sommelier having products on Cosmos. Uh, but like the like, you know, 
the biggest like the biggest opportunities in DeFi right now are like um are mostly around like the state like the staking and uh like liquid the liquid staking ecosystem on ethereum and like some of the stablecoin ecosystems on ethereum um these represent like kind of the you know nine you know 900 pound gorilla of, of of real yield opportunities and like you know, it's like the cash flows are just like our orders of magnitude larger than what's available in Cosmos right now. For now. For now. For now. For now. Right. Uh, all right. Let's take the conversation back to the, the vault for a second. My last one is regarding risk and how you guys kind of think about that. Uh, I, I'd love to hear from Steven on the strategy side and then obviously Sun with the numbers. Sure. So on the strategy side, there's a lot of things to happen. Um, depends on the strategy, right? So for like real yield ETH, we we maintain a health factor of like 1.1. And now uh, that was 1.1. This was before Ave did this crazy thing, but uh, they did what they did, which is like hard code ST ETH to ETH. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Um, yeah. So like one ST ETH will always equal one ETH on Ave. So now our Ooh. health factor isn't isn't uh, as much of a risk factor at all um, because it's. <laughs> Like immutable, you can't get liquidated for SD. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're like 1.06, which is literally uh, still a massive deep peg away from any liquidation, which can't happen because they've hard coded SD. Uh, so, like, we monitor with uh, off chain analytics, we also monitor daily and frequently um, every rebalance. You can't rebalance the vault if it puts the health factor below a certain level. I think it's 1.05. Uh, so, risk is managed from the strategy perspective generally in terms of what the risk factors are. So with LSTs, you also have DPEG risks. Uh, so generally with DPEG plays, we, we like to participate in the upside. So with the CBE play, we saw that it was DPEG. It was one of the very first plays in real yield ETH. And so we actually participated in a leverage long bet on CB3 pegging because we launched uh, on the day of Shanghai Capella. So we thought, okay, you can redeem. This is going to be arbitraged. Uh, let's take a leveraged long position on this and and benefit from that arbitrage. And sure enough, uh, that entire narrative played out just as we had expected. So the flip side of that is if there was some sort of black swan that did happen, we have the ability to exit specific parts of our positions and specific exposures uh, very dynamically, very quickly. Um, and it, like what happened during uh, the USDC DPEG? And like how the the stablecoin strategy managed that has just been a, was like a great example of like dynamically figuring out what our exposures were, and then as things as the situation evolved, looking at a profit opportunity and taking advantage. Yeah, just on that point of like navigating DPEG and like black swan events, that's been like really gratifying to see like the Somalia strategies operating at this point through multiple like kind of crazy events. Uh, we used to joke actually that like every time we launched a product, there was like a black swan event that directly affected that product. Um, it's, it's, if you, yeah, I don't, maybe you don't Correlation need to doesn't equal causation. Yeah. God willing, and, you know, God willing. <laughs> yeah, and there hasn't been like a huge calamity, you know, like Lido hasn't been hacked or something when we launched our ELFT product. So that's probably a good sign that our luck is cool. changing, but. Uh, just watching these like strategies perform in the wild and being able to dynamically react to DPEG events and these kind of crazy events is definitely like confirming of the thesis. Uh, so just a side note, but just on the point of like the risks of this particular strategy, um, again, like the only thing that this strategy is doing is allocating fracks to various fracks land markets, right? So it's inheriting a lot of the risks there. there. 
there's obviously also like smart contract risk in terms of like the Somalia smart contracts. Uh, again, these contracts have been, you know, out in the wild for a while now. They've done, you know, tens of millions in TVL. Uh, so, and, you know, we have like amazing auditors that I think we're very fortunate to be working with. Uh, so there's that component. Same auditors as Frex. Yeah, actually. Yeah, that's true. Uh, auditors are macro. They've done some, some audits in the Frex ecosystem. Uh, so, you know, a lot of the risks are similar. Now, there's this question of like, okay, this vault is chasing the highest yields, right? Like on Fraxland. That's kind of the purpose of the vault with this additional constraint of like having liquidity available for withdrawals. Uh, so, you know, in the event of like, you know, let's say Michael Igorov doesn't want to, uh, you know, like repay his Frax debt, right? Uh, that's mm -hmm. like an interesting situation that is theoretically possible. Uh, you know, it's hard to quantify these kind of risks, right? These are just kind of the risks that some of some of these like, you know, risks that you get from using protocols like this. But uh, yeah, that's that's stuff that we are considering, but it's very hard to model that out, right? And at face value, this vault's purpose is like, you want to maximize your yield on Frax Lend, right? This is a way to do it where you don't have to do any work yourself. You deposit into the vault and you know it's doing like all of this work behind the scenes to give you that yield. Understood. And you mentioned that all these, when you launch a product, a black swan hop happens. Could you give me one case study and then how, like, you know, what was the vault initially and then how did the vault react to this black swan and what was the result? I can, I can only guess what this can be. Okay. So, I mean, it goes, the first example was our first like proof of concept vault, which was actually kind of similar. Uh, it was basically, it's kind of similar to this product. Um, in the sense that this was an Aave stablecoin yield optimizer. So this was back, way back in the day, this was before like the Terra collapsed, right? And stablecoin yields on Aave were actually pretty juicy. And there were a bunch of like interesting stablecoins and those yields were really dynamic. So like the proof of concept product was like, okay, you put your stablecoins into this vault and it's going to pick the best stablecoin on Aave and go and lend that out, right? And then Terra collapsed, right? Like and two weeks later. Yeah, and stablecoin <laughs> compressed drastically, right? Like yields completely tanked. And not only did they tank, but the problem was no longer interesting because they were like, a lot of stablecoins died. There were like a couple that were, you know, the major ones that remained that people actually cared about didn't really vary in their yields. So that product was really just a proof of concept. Uh, that's like the very first example, you know, we could get more into, and then the, I think probably a better example was the USDC DPEG, um, yes. which, mm. you know, uh, we launched our, the, uh, real yield USD in January. Um, when was, I don't remember when the DPEG was like March, I think. Yeah. Like March, February, March. What yeah. is the real yield strategy? You guys yeah. are making me nervous. <laughs> you guys are yeah. making me nervous. <laughs> PTSD. ETH has been fine. Like we didn't break. That's true. That's true. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Everything worked. As we also, uh, break the curse. <laughs> we also kind of dodged a bullet with um, Euler, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. You, so you we, got, yeah, okay, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. We were developing an Euler strategy and we just like got delayed for whatever reason with launching it and actually getting it out there. So we're delayed by a couple of weeks and then that hack happened and we just happened <laughs> to have not launched an Euler strategy. Some may oh. call that fate. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Let's go so, back to the yeah, real it's been, that, uh, uh, Zucky was talking. Yeah, yeah. So uh, real yield USD, 
Um, so, you know, what this, what normally, what our like standard procedure is, is like, you know, Sun's team monitors centralized exchanges, curve pools, like a bunch of other things for signs of, you know, market turbulence. So in response, the standard, our standard procedure was, okay, the market's turbulent. We're going to just take whatever we've got out of any like uni V3 exposure, put it in the lending pools. Um, and, um, you know, for a while, the lending pools went completely illiquid, which was unexpected from our point of view. Um, uh, that was, that was pretty wild and, un, uh, you know, it was like compound utilization, but, you know, we aren't like, you know, APYs were crazy high, um, during that weekend. So that was good. Um, and then when it was clear that, you know, it, it, it I don't know, it took the market, like I work with circle on, you know, issuing USDC on, on, on Cosmos. I talk to them like all the time, uh, you know, like I was like, I'm like, yeah, this thing is going to be fine. Um, and so, you know, uh, we're able to like sort of buy the discount USDC and like into the repeg and profit off of that as well. Oh, wait. So you're in communication with circle. Oh, do you, so what's their exact Cosmos strategy? Oh, um, so there's a generic asset issuance chains called noble, um, uh, that, uh, we spun up. Um, there is like $500 of USDC issued on it right now. Uh, but, uh, we all we're creating, somewhere. yeah, we're, we're in the final stages of integrating USDC natively. Um, uh, you know, uh, DYDX is, is an extremely large user of USDC. Um, mm. and like, that's been a huge, uh, uh, forcing function to actually like figure this whole thing out. Like it, it was funny. It was like, um, you know, like last year, um, I saw, you know, I saw, I saw Antonio at, uh, at FTX Bahamas, you know, joy, joy. Um, <laughs> and I like, I heard a rumor that you're building a Cosmos chain and he's like, what do you need help with? And I'm like, he, what, what do you need help with? He's like, Zachy, help me figure out USDC. Uh, you know, a year later, we, there's like a new company, a new blockchain, like all of that stuff. We like, we, we've been really, we, we've like, I joke, like, you know, like the stuff Cosmos has done for DYDX included firing the entire consensus engine team because they weren't able to deliver uh, to get DYDX done and starting a new company to like host USDC on Cosmos. Uh, we've really, we've literally <laughs> building from scratch. Wow. Yeah, we really like boiled, the, we boiled the ocean for this product. Um, Eagle system support right there. You know, no, no ecosystem fund yeah. would do that for you. Uh, but actually, Zaki, I just want to go to the, the real yield USD product is you took USDC, USDT, put that into a uni V3 position, earned real yield. Yeah, so when the DPEG happened, you, you guys pulled it and then you dropped it into, say, Aave or, or, or Compound to still earn well. some yield. Yeah, Got actually it. quite okay. a lot of yield, it turned out. And just, okay. to, just to like... Because like Michael actually like borrowed basically like all of the USDTE that could be found and was like buying USDC at the log. <laughs> yeah, there was some crazy hour long. Uh... <laughs> so just like hop on that point a bit, pulling out liquidity at the right time when a DPEG is happening is like key, right? Because the way Uniswap dynamics work is that you're left with the like less valuable asset when you're quoting, right? right? Uh, so if you just don't do anything and USDT DPEGs, that you're going to have 100% USDT. Uh, so that ability 
just to like bring this back to you know how this helps how this is relevant to the frax vault the ability to like assess the market with more than just what a smart contract can read on chain is essential right you can look at things like uh, flows on centralized exchanges you can look at twitter sentiment right news uh, all of this is like you know another perspective for what SOM is it's a way of taking off-chain computation and bringing that on chain in a decentralized way right so being able to ingest all the types of data that like centralized funds and trading firms can take can do and make trading decisions that then get executed on chain uh, and this is like you know the frax the frax lend uh, optimizer the fraximal is what we call it benefits from all these things right because we can do we can do things like look at twitter sentiment we can assess these kind of like weird idiosyncratic risks that you can't observe on chain you like need to know the the story or the narrative behind it right uh, and this is like this is a benefit that all somalia vaults actually have so fraximal which is the fraxin optimizer that's basically the v1 um are there other yield opportunities in the frax ecosystem that you're seeking to build uh in the future yeah certainly so from a strategist perspective like one of the ones that we're looking at is kind of in tandem with what we're launching next week so next week we're launching really yield btc uh, so this is going to aim to get a a very competitive yield on btc if, if you know anything about getting yield on btc in uh on mainnet it's notoriously difficult um incredibly difficult actually so we are going to be doing like a leveraged stake position on Morpho as the underlying yield from, from like graph staked ETH, but BTC being the initial uh, collateral. Now, we also are going to look into doing something with FraxLend because the lending rates are so good on FraxLend for BTC. So if you take graph BTC on FraxLend and then borrow against it, the borrow rate is something like 0.27%. Uh, APR on the Frax borrowed, which is just phenomenal. So if we take that and then put it into a, a Frax lend type algorithm or Frax lend type system or, or Fraximal type system, you can end up generating a, a I guess, a gross return of around five to six percent. So that's five to six percent on BTC on the denomination of BTC. So that's one strategy that we're, we're currently. Yeah. Looking at. Um, Stephen, a heads up: your mic's a little weird. It's going like in and out, like soft and then loud again. So like. Oh no. Yeah. Just a heads up. Okay. Right. Sorry about that. Yeah. Let's let's rock. All right. Awesome. Yeah. So so there's that strategy. Then there's also the the FPI loop, which we're still looking into. Uh, we do need a little bit more historical data here, but effectively, this is a very very straightforward loop. If you anticipate. Uh, inflation to to continue at a higher rate than the current borrow rate, which is like, again, less than half a percent, then you can leverage effectively inflation. Uh, and, you know, uh, anyone who has the, maybe a bearish outlook on the US dollar might want to have a leverage position on inflation, which is completely and entirely possible and automatable um, through, through SOM plus FRAX integration. I'll add one more strategy idea to that, which is, uh, so, you know, the, so far, Somalia's two most successful strategies are real yield ETH and real yield USD. Uh, ETH is just, an, it's like, you know, maximize ETH yield, uh, real ETH yield by, you know, LPing, leverage staking, whatever you can do. USD is a similar thing, except uh, it's just LPing. Uh, we, we can imagine something like real yield frax, right? Which not only is you know, maybe we'll take positions in this Frax Lend Vault, but could also do things like LP and Frax across all the various AMMs that exist out there. Uh, the kind of reasoning that we didn't launch with that first and we went with this Frax Lend product first is that 
Uh, this was like, you know, a very clear opportunity for a protocol, like an, e an ecosystem that we could directly benefit. Uh, so, you know, that's like the motivation there, but there's obviously a ton we could do with Frags. And hey, we're open to ideas as well. And then additionally, you know, there's a, a basket full of Frax ETH or SFRAX ETH opportunities out there as well. Yeah, it's plenty of those. Um, another question, uh, still in the Frax ecosystem. We've all heard news about Frax chain, Frax wanting to launch a rollup. Uh, but in theory, they could launch a Cosmos Frax chain. Um, yeah. would, what would the case, if you could, you know, talk to the Frax team, what would you, be your case for Frax to launch a Cosmos app chain instead? Um, so one of the narratives that I think is, is, is coming, like there are people who, who are working on this today, which is eigenlayer secured Cosmos chains. So like ETH validator oh. secured Cosmos chains. Uh, uh, I think, and I think that may be, may also become like a big, a big thing. And like the difference between the, you know, the difference between like, as a practical matter, like I'm not like anti the like, uh, optimism stack, the Z case, you know, uh, like ZK labs, I forget what they're calling it. Hyper something stack. There's like, Arbitrum Orbit. And then optimism bedrock. Hyperchain, <laughs> like, you know, I, I'm not trying to like, sh like shit on any of these things. And some, and a lot of, and like the, poly, like, poly, like Polygon ZKVM stuff, it's all like amazing technology. But like, we have a consensus algorithm that has been running and managing billions of dollars, very few systems in terms of their, like we have a standardized bridging protocol. And one of the advantages of having a standardized bridging protocol is you could actually like build and extend the abstraction in like a coherent way um, rather than, and so like, you know, we're getting more and more close in the Cosmos ecosystem to like, so you don't have to like, oh, so like, you know, what we really want for instance is like when you want, when you want to want it, like move your USDC to DYDX chain, we just want you to put your DYDX chain address into Coinbase and get your USDC there. And like, we can have systems that take care of all of the like IBC packets moving around. Can't do that with like less well-specified bridging protocols. Um, so these are the advantages in my mind of building on top of the Cosmos ecosystem is the maturity of the software, the like extensibility of the software. We have this really cool thing called ABCI++, um, which is like what the DYDX team um, uh, uh, is using for their chain, for their, for their order book. Um, so like we have a lot of like really cool tech that I think will meet will eventually show show up in like the roll app world, but it's practically yours. Roll app, I like that word. I do like that. I like that word too. Yeah. So that's interesting. You said eigenlayer security for Cosmos app chains. Yeah. It, it's like it's like such a slight nuance from oh you have like a roll up with sequencers and you have you know eigenlayer for rollups, but like eigenlayer for app chains. I mean, uh, like, I hone in. Yeah. All I'll just say is like, you know, I, I very much like, I, you know, there's like the John Chara rollups aren't real, uh, uh, uh real. Blog, <laughs> blog post, which, you know, I've been talking to John about this for a long time, which is like, it's, it's all just chains and bridges. Like that's at the end of the day, there's no such thing as an L1. There's no such thing as an L2. There's just, 
chains and bridges, and there's assets that are natively issued on one chain, like uh, you know, and they're stable coins. Like the SOM token has is the L1 for the SOM token, and Ethereum is its L2, and uh, for Frax is Ethereum is the L1. Um, and like we don't bridge, and instead we like do message passing to manage it on ETH. Um, uh, but like you know, at the end of the day, just bridges and chains. Yeah, it's all shoots and ladders, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so when communicating between ETH and Cosmos for some, how does that work? Like, what do you guys use? Do you guys so did you guys build like a message? We, yeah, we started this journey a long time ago when the like two years ago when the infrastructure for Ethereum, Cosmos, Interop was much less mature than it is today. Um, uh, so we have our own version. We have like our own bridge software that's a fork of the, that's like the same code base as what uh, one of the big Cosmos bridges, which has like managed like a few hundred million in TVL called Gravity Bridge. Um, so we have our own version of that. Um, and then we've been integrating Axelar um, for a while. Yeah. And we're going to have Axelar powered strategies soon. Do you guys use Hyperlane at all? I only ask because I, I got this like nice Hyperlane shirt. I'm a co-founder of Hyperlane. Oh, you're co-founder. Oh, <laughs> oh I should have known that. <laughs> My bad. Yeah, no. I, oh, yeah. So oh, there you go. I, I am you basically use. I, I have all things. You're all everywhere. Things. Wow, you're you're like like a more advanced version of me. You're truly everywhere. You're truly behind everything, and you've been doing it for a decade. Bad um, respect. Um, any like takeaways and lessons from your? crypto journey from Whoa. 2013 till now i don't know man i've like the same I've, I've, I've seen some shit i've seen some shit, I've seen some shit. Yeah. <laughs> are there roll-ups in the room with us right now <laughs> uh, um but yeah do, do you notice the same just mistakes just repeating every cycle like whether it's you know the main character or demigogs just rising up and then falling i can't and, i can't know, I, uh, uh, honestly though i like didn't see ftx coming like Oh, you didn't see FTX coming. I can't believe that, like, so, like, you know, 2013 cycle, we got rugged by the centralized exchange. It was centralized exchange. It was, you know, awful, hilarious, incompetence all around. Then, like, we did the whole 2018, 2017, 2018 cycle and never really got rugged by any of the major exchanges. And then I can't mm -hmm. believe that, like, we did this, we, like, got rugged by the second largest exchange in 2020. I know. Yeah, like it seems like it skips a cycle. So hopefully yeah. the next cycle, it just does or just stops happening altogether. Yeah. Um, so, since you've been around, um, how would you compare the Ethereum community to the Cosmos community? Are they similar? How are they different? Um, honestly, I think like the, the like honest answer to this question is like. In the last year, like the Cosmos community has like somewhat has like been very stagnant. Uh, like mm. it's basically been like you know we're like you know we're, Cosmos community has mostly been wandering around as like the survivors of the Terra apocalypse. Um, mm. um, is basically, and I would say like <laughs> like we are mostly like we're in the process of like reemerging from the bunker and like trying to like see what the world is like right now. Um, uh, things have been bad. Cosmo uh, planned. I mean, I, there's no just like mm. there's no there's no real like walking around it. You can't mince words. Yeah, it's like things have been mm. real bad. Uh, I'm very like I think this is like a very exciting period though because it's like 
it is the it is kind of the moment when things if they're going to turn around turn around right now so it's an exciting time to be in the ecosystem i also just think you know um and so you know the ethereum ecosystem has had like a lot more fun in the last year like you know arbitrum arbitrum LSD. <laughs> that was fun uh yeah. uh you know the the l2 era has generally been fun um you know yeah pepe uh, and then like <laughs> the the amazing a feat of transitioning to proof of stake is just is like yeah. you know I, I i i the first time i talked to vitalik about proof of stake was 2014 2015. yeah it's uh, just, it seems as if yeah terra was basically cosmos's DAO moment when the DAO collapsed and you had the fallout from that for like however long. Um, you know, you just had like all these survivors. Like, you, you were there. Would you I make was that there for the DAO hack. And yeah. like, there's all, there are parallels. Uh, what uh, are the parallels? I mean, I think, you know, like I was sitting there watching like the order book and like finally, like, and I, I you know, I, I was, we used to run it for a while. Like I ran a Terra validator. I was very familiar with how their code worked. Um, and I knew what would happen if UST depegged. And I just like, I talked to Kanav and Novogratz like recently at the time about like, about UST and like, you know, was feeling pretty confident that it would be fine. And then like watching the depeg happen and then the death spiral and then like helping the validators shut down the chain and turn off the Oracle. And like, I was doing all of that. So it was, and it was like very similar to like, you know, cause like the crazy, like I, people don't remember this, but like what happened with the DAO hack is the DAO got drained, but then it got drained into this other contract where there was like a two week uh, window to do something. And so there's this like ticking clock of the community had to figure out what they were going to do before that, like this like two week pause that was like implemented in the contract where the funds were like, were drained out of the main contract, but sitting in this other contract where they had to figure out what the hell to do. Um, and I, re you know, I remember, uh, uh, like, I remember, like, I was sharing a co-working space with a bunch of Ethereum core devs in California, uh, and like sitting in the core dev meeting, like listening to the core dev meetings, like while they had like two weeks to try and figure out what to do. You know, Terra collapse was so fast; it was like hours. Um, you know, yeah. it was like, Days. you know, it was like, it was a crazy night where it was like, from like, what do we do to, you know, the economic security of this chain is dropping like a rock. Like what are the contagion effects? Like all of this stuff. It was just like, you had to like make all of these decisions like really fast. Yeah. So with the Dow, you had a two week span. I was like, okay, like we don't have a, month, a lot of time, but we can do something. And yeah. And it was like two weeks forward. to like, yeah. think about what to do. Mm -hmm. um, to think which about was like real luck, real lucky. Like if like the DAO hack had happened and, you know, the attacker had been able to immediately exit into an exchange, I think it would have been a completely different story. Uh, yeah, but I think those huh. what ifs, but, uh, okay. with Terra, it, it, yeah, it was just like a few days. Oh, Kit, you can go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted to now take, since we started at the end of Terra, I want to go rewind. How did Terra get started? It sounds like, you know, did you have kind of a hand in helping Doe set up the, the validator and, and kind of get Terra going? And what was it like when yeah, Terra I mean, like hit the inflection point? 
Well, I mean, Tara, so the story of Tara was um, like they start, they made the decision early on to use the Cosmos SDK. They were still pitching themselves as the like chai retail solution. Um, but then they like went out and raised a bunch of money to like pivot into DeFi. Um, uh, and initially they weren't connected to IBC at all. So we did this, I did this thing. This is what I like, when I said I was in the salt mines in 2020, this is what I was doing in 2020. This thing that we called the Stargate upgrade, um, which then layer zero stole, stole the name, but anyways. Um, uh, so it was like, you know, Stargate upgrade. The Stargate upgrade was this like massive, like very substantial change to the way Cosmos worked um, that enabled IBC. And Doe was like, why do I need to do this? Like, how is this going to help me? I don't really care. Um, but then Osmosis launched and Doe got excited about Osmosis. And so when, uh, when Terra connected to Osmosis, that was a transformative moment for the, like, there were two transformative moments in 2021. First was Osmosis launching itself and like built, bringing like the real first DeFi app chain, DeFi experience to Cosmos, first farming experience to Cosmos, all of the stuff. And then uh, when Terra connected, it was like this, it was a very much a transformative moment because there's just like huge billions of dollars of liquidity flew through, flowed through IBC. Um, you know, it's crazy. It was very bizarre, like to me, like a protocol that I had like drawn on a whiteboard in 2016 was like in 2021 and 2022, just like moving billions of dollars every day. Which which one did you build in 2016? IBC. Was it IBC? Oh, okay. Wow, that yeah. must have been such a great feeling. Like, wow, like <laughs> it's working. I've seen some shit. <laughs> yeah. And so basically now it's been, you know, what we've seen with IBC, it's been battle tested. It can handle billions of dollars going through it. Yeah. So it's just like a matter of, you know, yeah, it's like, it's been a year. It's like you have the survivors. They're still dazed walking around. But, you know, it's fertile soil for something to come up. Yeah. And like lots of cool stuff is launching. Yeah. What is your, um, what, what are you most excited about that's launching on Cosmos? So I, I mentioned DYDX. I'm yeah, really thanks, excited. Yeah. I'm excited about Verachain. I'm excited about Celestia. But yes, yes, Verachain. I Both have bags guys. in pretty much all of these things, so just conflict disclosures. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. MVP told me to say hi to you. We just spoke to him right before oh, this call. MVP. Oh, you did? Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> I love MVP. Yeah, tell him I say what up. I was just with all the Barachain guys in Waterloo. We had we all had an event together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Steven and Sun, what are your favorite, you know, up-and-coming projects on Cosmos? IBC stuff, yeah. So yeah, the yeah. yields over there are actually really interesting and I think undervalued. Um, one of the things that they're that they're like dramatically missing is leverage stake looping. So this is mm. like a massive, massive market in, in on Ethereum and in EVMs. So you is, see like you know yeah. your Instadat products, your your uh, Oasis products are like it's called Summer now, Summer Fi. Is, your Gearbox products. Go ahead. Is Apollo Dow doing the leverage le le leverage looping? They so Apollo Dow just like they've. I, big quick answer is I don't know. I know they have leveraged LPing on uh, Mars, and so like that's the extent of, of my familiarity with with Apollo Dow's revamp. So I remember with them back in the Terra days, uh, and then they recently launched in tandem with like Mars to have leverage LPing. I don't know if they're doing leverage, just well, leverage yeah, yeah, the, LPing. The other thing that is happening in the Cosmos like leverage staking world is um, 
so I've been working on this thing called the liquid staking module um, for Cosmos for about a year. It's it should it's going to go live on the with Adam and like in a couple of months. Uh, I don't really work on it that much anymore. Mostly the liquid staking teams have taken it over, but I like did all the I wrote a lot of the code. I did a lot of the original design. Um, and uh, basically, it allows you to like convert staked Atom to liquid staked Atom without waiting 21 days to unbond. And so right now, there's like less than 1% of the Atom that's out there is liquid staked. Um, so it like really deprives the DeFi ecosystem in IBC of like any liquidity. Um, and so, but it also allows the Cosmos Hub to like sort of regulate liquid staking. Like it can set like a limit of like how much stake it wants to be liquid staked. Like so, it's it's a little bit different. So like I think the launch parameters are twenty five percent liquid staked, uh, up to twenty five percent of the atom can be liquid staked. Oh, so this will be the the atom pegged stablecoin. Well, so yeah, I mean, I just I uh, I uh, uh, you know, Inter is a is a CDP style uh, atom backed mm -hmm. stablecoin. It and that the vaults just launched like last week. Uh, son, what about you? Yeah, I think I'm most excited about like the AMM, uh, like market making order book, you know, and like MEV capture space. I think like a lesson that we learned early on actually in the Somali e ecosystem, but now a lot of people know is that it is virtually impossible to be profitable mark when you're market making purely on chain, right? Like the data says that 99% of like Uniswap LPs, for example, are losing money, right? They would have been better off just holding. Um, and like, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of like theoretical reasons that that's the case, but with this, with the app chain world, you have way more flexibility, right. And how you can actually like tailor these protocols to solve this issue. Uh, so like, you know, osmosis is doing interesting stuff. Like, like you mentioned, obviously everyone's excited for DYDX. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and interesting fun fact is that sommelier way back in the day was originally a protocol for optimizing Uniswap V3 uh, liquidity. V2, V2. Oh, V2, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was and V2 then, and then V3. Yeah. And then we like then realized VD. eventually that like nothing on V3 would make money. Um, yeah. And then like eventually found things that would make money. Yeah. So interesting. The hero's journey. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, that was a, you know, that was an interesting time because it's, it's hilarious how long it took people to realize Right, that like there's this system with billions of dollars that everyone's just losing money on, uh, and it's really like, a good branding. Yeah, nice for sure. Still do, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of making money, I want to ask you guys about alpha and yields, and then we'll wrap up. So, you know, we're near the end of the interview. If you made it this far, you've earned this. Uh, Stephen, let's start with you. What is some alpha that you would feel comfortable with sharing with the Flywheel audience? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I love yields. They're very exciting. Some of the best yields out there are arbit arbitrage yields. Mm -hmm. uh, so effectively, there are many, many, many derivatives of a lot of great assets. And if you're willing to do the due diligence on these derivatives, sometimes you can find them when they're slightly under peg. And if they have redemption models, fantastic. You can sort of estimate your redemption or your, or your arbitrage. If they don't, they can be a little more confusing. So I'm going to talk about some of the ones that are a little bit more confusing. Like we have right now uh, CREth2. So if you're, if you've, been around me long, and if you've probably heard about CRE2, this is like Cream's ETH. Uh, Cream is now giving all of their CRE2 to Manifold, and that's going to be like an MEV plus liquid staking yield wrapped token. 
And they've already put it into like the, the manifold cream uh, multi-sig. They deployed their first 32 ETH into their validator and things are getting rolling. So that's pretty exciting. The CRE, when we first entered this position, it was like 20% under peg. Uh, I think my egg cram is going to die. And like now it's only 8% under peg. So it's still 8% mean on the bone there. And this is like probably in a time horizon of maybe one to three months. So 8% denominated in ETH over three months. That's a great arbitrage play in my opinion. There's also Geth, uh, not girly ETH, but like Garda ETH. This is this random ETH derivative we found a few days ago. And the way they have the redemption mechanism is ridiculous. So basically you have to like go KYC through this weird exchange and then every two days, they, they free up like 13 ETH space to redeem. So it's like 2% under, or I think like 4% under peg now. So 4%, you can just like go and buy it on UniV3, take it over to this weird exchange. And then every few days, like up to 13 ETH, uh, just redeem it for like a, a 3 to 4% arbitrage. Or like I'm in the UniV3 pool right now. The UniV3 Geth Weth pool is 425% APR. And it's so close to peg. This is just, it's, it's like a 1% uh, fee tier. So it's really fun to be in. That's just like yield. I mean, you know, you have like your basic yields, like Pendle has 50% on Staffi ETH. Some people are scared of Staffi ETH. They don't know it's a rocket pool uh, fork. It's like a, a massive Asian community following. So like I mostly follow ETH yields, but there's also like really, really crazy ones uh, like Kanto S or S Kanto. This is the most ridiculous arbitrage mechanism that exists, I think, in DeFi. So what you have to do is you can buy Escanto, which is like 5% under peg. Uh, and the way you redeem it is open up a Discord ticket on the Escanto Discord. And you, you have to talk to the mods about or the, the team about having them redeem it for you through the multisig. And they'll do it. And it takes 21 days to do it. But like the, the yield there is ridiculous if you annualize 5% every 21 days. Uh, but it's like the, the stupidest, most ridiculous arbitrage mechanism that I've seen in, in DeFi yet. Those are a few wow. things. Just, yeah. yeah. I'm that's always the, the iceberg right there. <laughs> oh, there's so many other yields out there, but I don't want to take up too much time. I'm always in awe of Steven's like, knowledge of the most obscure DeFi protocols. It's absurd. He <laughs> literally knows everything about what's going on in DeFi. That's why he has the DeFi dojo. Exactly. The dojo right, is real. That's why. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll give some more high, I'll give some higher level uh, alpha here, which is that deep. So we, we kind of talked about earlier, are, are, are these markets rational? And the answer is very clearly, no, like empirically, no, right? Like DeFi markets are extremely inefficient and extremely irrational. And if you just look for markets overreacting, which seems to happen like on a weekly basis, for example, very recently, it was like in response to like the uh, BlackRock's ETF filing, right? Like, uh, you know, you can see opportunities that are very like it's essentially arbitrage, right? This actually like the USD Somali vault actually benefited from this when, you know, the, the whole issue there was that Circle had exposure to Silicon Valley Bank, right? Uh, let's say I don't remember the actual number, but let's say like 8% of Circle's backing assets were in that bank. The market was pricing it as if those were worth zero. Right. Like all of the money just completely evaporated. So USDC was trading at like an 8% discount. Meanwhile, the probability of that is basically zero, right? Like you're getting something back. Uh, so these kind of events happen all the time. Uh, there is, you know, this is one of the things that's great about DeFi is that there's huge opportunity. Uh, and yeah, that's, you know, just some high level.
child advice for how to seek like yield opportunities. Those are some mini alpha for the real yield fault. Uh, we just got Morpho adapters. So if you guys know, Morpho has like peer-to-peer -peer lending, which means that the yield is going to go up on real yield ETH in the very, very near future. Yeah. The best, e the best yield on in ETH denominated yield is about to become better. That's right. Zucky, do you have any alpha? Or are you still deep uh, in the IVC or deep building? No, I mean, I, I am not, uh, as, as, uh, as versed in the alpha stuff. I'm, I'm still like fundamentally like a protocol builder at heart. Uh, but like, I, I will just agree that there's actually, there are a lot of opportunities because of the like massive inefficiencies of yeah. like one of the other like things that is happening though right now is like, like smart money. And like money is really risk off right now. Like that's the other thing, right? Is like in general, you like uh, uh, like the money that's still on chain is very risk off, which has you know been a challenge for growing TVL for some. But like what it just means is that there are actually like just like you know opportunities that would have been uh, swallowed up by sophisticated like players in the past. The jumps, the symbolics, the uh, 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 the Alamedas of the world are just like sitting there slowly being consumed rather than just being like eaten in one shot. Devoured. Yeah. Like devoured. Um, and that's, you know, it's created a lot of opportunity for some. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I believe there are opportunities for some under all market conditions. You hear that guys, there's opportunities out there and you'll find them on some. Um, awesome. Anyways, uh, we are nearing the end of this edition of Flywheel. And at the end of every episode, we like to do a lightning round. And in this lightning round, we're going to ask three questions, nine total, so three each. Uh, just like fun questions. Fast. So like just, fast, just give us immediately fast. what comes to mind when, yeah. when you oh, ask geez. this. And uh, yeah. I, I'll kick things off uh, quickly. Obviously, you guys are from Psalm, so I got to ask, what is your favorite wine? Let's start with Sun. Oof. All right. My favorite, like, you know, like wine you can drink weekly, like, you know, it's not super expensive, but it's called Juggernaut. It has, juggernaut. The, yeah, Juggernaut. It's a cab, Cabernet Sauvignon. It has the sickest label I've seen on any wine. <laughs> it's like this sick lion with like blood on its claws. <laughs> really great wine that you can have. It's not too expensive. You can have it on the regular. Cool. All right, Zucky. Uh, I just, I love Cab Franc. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I enjoy like all kinds of wines from all over the world. I'm also on like the hipster and natural wine journey too. So. <laughs> Steven, uh, mad dog 2020. Best oh, mad dog. There. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not like a big drinker, so I, I have no, no good input here. That's why Fair. he's able Fair. to keep all of this DeFi stuff. In his head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Impaired by all he's, the alcohol. Yeah. He's drunk on yields and only. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then uh, high on token supply. High on tokens. And second question is: If you weren't in crypto, finance, or tech, what would your professional career be? Let's let's start with Zaki for this one. That's a hard one, man. I've been in tech for so long. Um, Lightning round, Zucky. 
farmer, farmer. You got to go with your instincts. Yeah. <laughs> a real farmer. Real yeah. farmer. Like, yeah. like animals and plants. Steven, I actually can't imagine you doing anything else than what you do now. <laughs> uh, before this, I was a philosophy teacher. I, I love oh, really? that job. I'd probably be doing that too. Yeah, uh, I, was, I was a philosophy minor in college. That's awesome. I took so many uh, extracurricular philosophy classes that they gave me a major in it. They're like, you know, you have a major now. I was like, oh, cool. Uh, where'd you go to school? Uh, some random small school in North Carolina. Okay, nice. All right, son, uh, go ahead. I mean, philosophy sounds pretty good. I was going to say law. Just because like... Uh, Similar. I yeah. I, is, is law tech? I don't know. Yeah, okay, yeah law, that counts. Yeah. That counts. Or like I would be like a surfer, you know? Nice. Yeah. Uh, and then last question, uh, we'll start with Steven, who would you recommend to come on flywheel next? Oh, geez. Uh, some people have, you? <sighs> who don't want to see, um, all the people I follow are just like degenerate JPEGs. I don't know if you'd want to have them on here. Like, uh, uh we, have, we have plenty of people on here. Have you guys had a yeah. uh, Caesar? Caesar? Caesar's a really interesting guy. So Caesar snack sandwich, uh, it's a ridiculous name, but he does great educational videos. He also like does a lot of stuff behind yes. the scenes building. Uh, so I think he's an undervalued, underappreciated person. Yeah. Also, Crypto Lynn, she's fun, fun for Alpha. Yeah. Zucky? Uh, I mean, I don't really know this person at all, but like I really enjoy the like Emperor Osmo Twitter um, person. Uh, you like tweet a lot about mm -hmm. DeFi mm -hmm. stuff uh, and like osmosis stuff but like general DeFi stuff mm -hmm. uh, yeah there's like a lot of like DeFi threaders that like i follow a lot that i've never heard on podcasts we love having the threaders on we broke th threaders yeah that's what we were known for early on yeah son what about you all right this is like a gonna be a cute answer but uh uh do you guys know uh d from blockworks research david uh he He's like a, you know, he's, he's a like player in the small ecosystem. Like, you know, he's, he's kind of been around, but he actually has recently put up some like interesting, uh, like criticism of like, you know, fractious strategy. I think it would be mm. interesting to have someone from, effort capital on Twitter. Um, yeah, he. I, I do remember. Yeah. Effort I capital. Also, like, don't pay attention to his non-Cosmos stuff, but like, yeah. He, uh, yeah, just he, to like, I don't. I, I can't speak for his argument, right? But like, his yeah. his argument is like, Frax is like doing everything right, but the Frax team has not spent enough time to like dominate any single category, right? Like, Frax is ubiquitous. That's one of the things we love about it, right? It's like. There's the Frax yeah. ecosystem is sprawling. So I think it'd be interesting to have, you know, some like yeah, an opposing view. Yeah, some exactly. spicy yeah, discussions. We love that. We yeah. love that. Yeah. Really smart guy. Yeah. I, I can't say enough good things about it. We can do David versus David. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, no, that's inter that that's actually a really good one. Um, but so we will see who we have on in the future. Uh, everyone, thank you for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Diving deep on SOM, diving deep on Cosmos, and more importantly, diving deep on the Frax, Fraxmo Vault. Um, where can people find the vault and where can people find you guys? Um, App.sommelier.finance or sommelier.finance. Um, uh, Z, Z M A N uh, M A N I A N on Twitter. Uh, 
at S, uh, an S-O-M-M finance uh, on Twitter. Mm. Uh, Steven, go ahead. Oh, yeah. And then uh, you can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm the calculator guy, but like my tag is at P-H-T-E-V-E-N, Steven. Uh, strong, it's Steven with a P-H. And uh, you'll find me there. I'm also in the DeFi Dojo. Links are all in the Twitter stuff. But would love to see you guys there. Yeah. Son? Uh, so I'm going to plug 7C's Twitter instead of my Twitter. Uh, you can find that at 7C's underscore C. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Boys. Uh, hope you. to have you all on again soon. Thanks for having us, guys. Thanks for having us. It's been a blast. Yeah. Thanks. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the post game. I'm your host, Defi Dave, here with Capital K. And this time, we are capping off a phenomenal episode with the SOM team. I, Somalier, Somalier. I think it's Somalier. I think I finally said it right yeah. after all this Somalier. fucking yeah. time. Yes, Somalier. Um, but this was a great podcast. Uh, we were actually talking, you know, just before we rolled this about it was really different. It had something for everyone in this podcast. You had, you know, for like the yield heads, you know, you kid, you're talking about like, oh, like the intricacies and like the strategies, this and that. Right. And then you just had Steven, who's just an encyclopedia of strategy, just go off. And then for me, like me and Zucky were vibing on, you know, like what's Cosmos like, like what's going on there, you know, what's kind of your experience. And Zucky, like you say, he kind of has this like Godfather-esque kind of thing. He's like, I handle a little bit of everything. He's like, he's just like, I've seen some shit. I've seen some shit <laughs> and uh, he's just like, I've had it, you know, and it's, I think it's like, it says a lot that out of like, Zucky could be working on anything. And out of all the things he's working on sommelier. Right. Right. I mean, clearly yeah. that the guy's awesome. And I love how kind of balanced their, their team is right. You, mm-hmm. you have obviously, you know, Zucky, someone who's kind of been through it and kind of recognizes all the potential pitfalls and all the challenges, how to overcome them. Then you have like the strategist, Steven to kind of really shake things up, like the calculator guy, right? Like he, he really just knows the calculator guy. to, to yeah. sniff out that yield. It's like, you know, those truffle pigs, you just find the truffles. And then you have son yeah. who's he's what, a truffle pig. Yeah, yeah, he's a yield. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, XPHD giga brain to help you crunch the math and figure out what the risk parameters are. And I think it was really important to ask about risk because all these yield aggregators, it's yes. Oh, yeah, you, you want to maximize yield, right? You, you want to maximize yield and that's kind of your focus, but maximizing yields is also synonymously saying increasing risk, right? So I, we, I'd love mm-hmm. to, I wish I got to dive into this, this one tidbit was like the idle capital, right? This reserve capital, this 5% or 10% that they're just keeping idle. That is going to be a drag on yields. Like, is there a way for them to address that? Like, is there like a side pocket where you could put that into, like, say, the Frax BP pool just to earn like 2% on it? Like, it's something, right? And obviously, you could pull the Frax BP at any time. So there's no quote liquidity risk per se. You know, I was wondering if there's anything like that. I wish I got to ask that. Uh, hey, save it for next time. Or, hey, maybe you could just like message them after. Yeah, you know what I found really interest- interesting? Um, Stephen was a philosophy professor, and then he became a yield guy, the calculator guy. Usually, you know, word cells like myself who study philosophy, we don't like numbers. I hate numbers. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm cool with numbers, um, but like, and it's just, uh, it's interesting. Like his path went from like philosophy to yield. Yeah. 
for sure. I I mean, he's he's also so so recognizable, right? I didn't know that he oh, was that beer. guy. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that beer was like God tier, dude. That beer made your mustache look like you know child's play. I, honestly, <laughs> so, I shaved that mustache at the perfect time then because I can't compete against that beard. Dude, iconic, iconic. And um, I yeah. I also really like how like uh, Zucky was able to give us origin stories almost of like both the mm-hmm. cosmos chain and also what it was like early in the early day of Eve. Eve. Like I didn't realize there was that two week for the Dow hack. And could you imagine the stress like the core devs of ETH must mm-hmm. have been in to like having this two weeks, like we got to figure this shit out. And like, you got to coordinate with the whole community. And then uh, on the other hand, he sees it happening kind of like in parallel again with the whole uh, Luna Terra implosion. <laughs> he's like, that oh, is impacting. He's like, like, like again. He's to, yeah, he's like, I wonder oh, why he's so tired. See some shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I highly yeah. recommend anybody watching this to read The Infinite Machine by Camilla Russo that really mm. dives into what happened with the DAO hack uh, very well. Um, what was like that two week span, like what went down, the coordination that had to happen. Um, I like if you want to dig deeper more into what happened, I highly recommend the infinite machine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to recall yeah. any other parts in the pods that I, I really loved. Um, oh, especially if, just, if yeah. every, who stayed till the end. Like Steven just oh, yeah. ratted off like three <laughs> very yeah. solid yield strategies. As you like said, kid, solid. get your notepad, write it down. I'm like, I haven't even heard of these yeah. fucking coins before. And he's just yeah, like, yeah, the, yeah. dude, the, the ARP opportunity with the Discord ticket was ridiculous. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm so open so a ticket. Funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think my my favorite part of this interview was just talking to Zucky about what's going on on Cosmos and his case on why Frax should be an app chain. And mm. what really stuck out is at the end of the day, like there's no such thing as a roll-up or a chain. They're all, you know, it's all just like all different chains and stuff. Right. Um, and chains and bridges. Chains and bridges, shoots uh, and ladders, chains and bridges. Um, and how he said, imagine Eigenlayer securing app chains. Mm. Like that kind of blew my mind. Because then you're, you're still connected. You, you still have the security of ETH, which is something that the Frax team has like talked about, like wanting to have the security of ETH. And then you have your own chain, like, and, you know, they talk about like a hybrid rollup. Maybe it would be better as a, like a chain, like a hybrid chain. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like we've, we've known that, right. We've had uh, Shri Ram on talking. And if anybody has mm-hmm. not listened to that pod, you got to go listen to that pod. I think Dave and I really shined yeah. on that pod. Yeah. Uh, Self plug. Yeah. <laughs> but I, we definitely talked about that. And because Shri Ram had this one slide in his presentation like a while back where he literally put, you know, Avalanche's icon, Polygon's icon, I believe Cosmo's icon was also on there. And then mm-hmm. all above the eigenlayer. So like in my, that slide really stood out to me because it effectively says that you could pretty much nullify all of these L alt L1s as native tokens and fuck mm-hmm. all that, excuse my language, but you know, forget all of that and just use ETH security. And you could still be on your avalanche. You could still have your cosmos mm-hmm. and still having ETH security. So I've, I've always known that was coming, um, but I, I just never really uh, think Frax would do that. But it yeah. does make swallowing the pill easier, right? If you were going to go okay. on to cosmos, use eigenlayer, ETH security, it, yeah. it's going to make you swallow that pill easier. Be like, okay, I, I am yeah. a cosmos chain, but I got ETH trust. 
you know. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, so, I'm so connected to ETH. Um, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, you know, maybe Frax Chain could use something like Polaris, which is what Bear Chain is rolling out for EVM mm-hmm. on Cosmos. Um, I'd like to see that in the wild. It's just the thing is with like EVM on Cosmos. I mean, Canto has been fine. So like Canto has actually like rolled out like EVM on Cosmos pretty well. Um, but like, you know, with, I feel like with like other EVM Cosmos chains, it was just like, there was always like something wrong or there was like something wasn't working, this and that. So it's just like, you gotta be like careful, but you know, Canto still mm-hmm. coming out, rushing along. Um, yeah. and yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else in this interview really stuck out to you. And this is, this is a fun one. I like yeah. learning about new things and exploring new chains. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing I thought was super sick. Psalm is a native Cosmos token, oh, but then is yeah. being used as reward incentives on Ethereum chain. Like, yeah, that I thought like, was pretty cool. It really that shows that, like, you know, they they don't. There's not really a rivalry or like you know com- competition between. Cosmos and Ethereum, like they actually work together in a positive sum manner, you know, which is like what we always talk about in the Frax community, a positive sum, like how can we work together to enlarge the pot and the pie for everyone? Yeah, agreed. Yeah, agreed. And if you want to keep with us on how, and that's it for this post game. Uh, if you want to keep with us on every episode, every post game, every pregame, Every frax check, every this week in frax, and every sub staff go subscribe down below and also subscribe, hit that bell button, leave us a comment, give us a like, let us know what you think. Follow us on Twitter at Flywheel DeFi, join the conversation on Telegram at Flywheel DeFi. You can follow me on Twitter at DeFi Dave 22. You can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And We will see you next week. Peace. Peace. Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes and is not an investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.